Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Holmes Politicast. I'm Jim, and I'll be your host for today. Uh, it's a rather dreary day here where I'm at. Kind of cold, but the birds are singing, chirping, so I think it'll be it'll end up being a nice day. Um, I have a couple of uh, news stories I wanted to share with you. One is from MLive, and it reports that the headline reads, Michigan reports the lowest daily coronavirus deaths ever seen since last late March. Um, so they're saying here that uh, the number of deaths in Michigan reported on Sunday, May 17th, is the lowest since late March, as I said. Um, figures from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services show 11 deaths and 638 cases. This is the lowest since March 24th, when uh, nine Nine were reported. Um, let's, don't know if there's a whole lot more to say about that, but, oh, let me just give you a couple of things here. Uh, the youngest person to die of the COVID-19 is age five, with the oldest person at 107, which I didn't even know we had any 107-year-olds in Michigan, or in the United States, let alone in Michigan. But the average age of those who have died are, or is 75. And we have a total of 51,142 cases um, uh, and 4,891 deaths since March 18th. But um, the latest recovery figures provided on May 15th stand at 28,234 cases. So definitely, as we talked about last week, we're on a downward trend. So it's looking very positive and there seems to be no legitimate reason why we shouldn't be able to open up very soon here. Um, a little bit closer to home in Grand Haven, the Christian Haven home announces that several residents have tested positive for the COVID-19. Oh, oh here we go. It wasn't, uh, my computer is very slow here. wasn't bringing it up. Uh, but it said the assisted living home in Grand Haven uh, announced Monday that several residents, and that's in quotations, have tested positive for COVID-19. The administrator, Sue Wilson, said many tests are still pending, making it difficult to speculate on how many residents have tested positive. So I don't know when we'll get those test results in, but that's not a good thing. But we'll see how many have got it there at the Christian Haven. I'm just not sure how people are getting these things. It's been a lockdown. I don't know. And they haven't had any visitors, so I don't know how people are getting it. But um, The third thing is from the Lansing State Journal, and that is that Michiganders wait and wait to redeem $50 million in bottle and can deposits. Um, and $50 million is how much Michigan residents hold in beer, pop, and other bottles and cans with the $0.10 cent deposits accumulating since late March when an emergency order by Governor Gretchen Whitmer stopped redemption at supermarkets and other stores because of the coronavirus pandemic. That number grows by 70 million unredeemed cans and bottles a week, said Tom Emmerich, Chief Operating Officer of Chupan and Sons Recycling. Um, and they go into a little detail about uh, that company, which we don't need to get into. Consumers are not putting these containers at curbsides, they're not throwing them away yet, he said. We also know that there are a tremendous number of charities who are working with different communities 
to collect deposit containers until the stores start taking them back. Um, and the rest of it is just more details about it and how it's collected. But I, I don't understand why they don't, I mean, I guess you're going to return them at some point, but I guess I just don't understand why they don't um, stop charging a deposit if they're not going to collect the, uh, they're not going to allow them to come back. Um, but I guess that it does become a little difficult if they do restate it, then how will they know which ones aren't and which ones are part of the deposit? But still, it's just filling up. I know my house is just filled with all kinds of cans and I can't get rid of them. I've got more cans than you can shake a stick at. Um, but yeah, the article, if you want to read it, is up on Detroit Free Press. And uh, it's a rather lengthy article. I didn't realize how long it is. But yeah, it just talks a lot about what they do with the cans and what, um, oh, well here, let me, this might be interesting. State Representative Joe Bellino, a Republican from Monroe, has a unique perspective on can and bottle returns. He grew up in his family's beer and wine distribution business, and he presently owns a party store in Monroe. Well, that's interesting. If we're going to shut businesses down and we're going to hurt the economy because we don't want people to die, this, meaning the stoppage of bottle and can returns at stores, has to be included. But people are getting antsy. They want to know when they can bring them back. Bellino is not a fan of Michigan's deposit law. He introduced a bill last fall to do away with the program that didn't gain traction. We suck at recycling as a whole, yet everybody thinks they are God's gift to recycling because they take their bottles and cans back to the store. Michigan's overall recycling rate is 15%, half of the nation, half of the national average. Bellino noted that aluminum is by far the most valuable item found in recycled materials. There's no money in the glass, the paper, and the cardboard. In states without bottle laws, cans are in the mix of recycled materials and help generate funds to expand recycling programs overall. In Michigan, they stay in the deposit redemption loop. If you want to be good at recycling in Michigan, something's got to happen. And that's not the bottle bill, he said. Chupin said he has continued to pay the idled workers at his Wixom and Wyoming facilities since the cans and bottles stopped flowing in late March. We need to get back to some sense of normalcy and to do it in a safe, efficient way. We'll be working three shifts around the clock to help catch up, but we can do it. <clears throat> And the last story is a rather humorous one, I thought. It's from The Hill, a national, uh, or mostly Washington, D.C., news piece about uh, the Congress. But they have a story about Michigan. And it says, The Michigan priest goes viral for using a squirt gun filled with holy water to offer social distance blessings to churchgoers. This one has got to be the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. There's a picture of this of this priest uh wearing his garb and a little mask and holding a bible and he's shooting a water gun <laughs> at a car <laughs> or with the window open um as if the catholic church couldn't have got any more ridiculous now they're going to spray people with squirt guns filled with holy water uh this is just ridiculous uh i mean next i can just see uh like a like a ghostbusters type movie with priests walking around with with big water guns and spraying the city I mean, they call themselves the god squad and and take out demons and exorcisms from afar i mean it just 
it's just ridiculous. I don't even I don't even know if there's an article if it's just a picture. I don't know, but it's just nonsense. Oh, there is kind of an article here, but I mean, I guess if you believe you have to bless people with holy water, I guess you have to do something. But um, a pre here's what the article says: A priest from Michigan is garnering widespread attention this week for a unique way of incorporating social distancing guidelines into his service at his parish during Holy Week last month. In the photos, which were first shared by the St. Ambrose Parish in Gross Point Park, uh, the priest, Father Tim Pelk, could be seen donning gloves, a mask, and a squirt gun containing holy water. The church wrote in the April 12th post, adapting to the need for social distancing, St. Ambrose continued its tradition of blessing of Easter food baskets, drive through style. Yes, that's Father Tom using a squirt gun full of holy water. I can't even believe I just said that. That is just absolutely ridiculous. Drive by, hold out your, your picnic basket, and it'll be sprayed. In an interview with Today, published on Sunday, Father Pelk said he came up with the idea and decided to go through with it after checking first with the doctor to make sure it was in line with social guidelines advised by health experts and government officials. You can't double dip into the holy water container, he told the outlet. I thought, what could I do that could keep the quarantine restrictions going and give kids the experience of Easter? We didn't have a lot of notice on it. At noon, the Saturday before Easter, I went out and there was a line of cars waiting. Oh, so I guess this is for kids too. Oh, this is fun. Um... Uh, Larry Pelpin, the photographer who captured the photos, told The Hill on Sunday that he has been working as commercial photographer in the Detroit area for decades and said he has never seen anything like this happen to any of my photos. Having covered many thousands of, image, Im uh, having covered many thousands of imaging assignments, including six presidents, and now nearing retirement, this is stunning, he continued. I'm quite aware that these things happen and memes get created that then, then passed around the world. But why did it take five weeks for it to take off? Um, so, anyway, there it is. That's in the hill, uh, if you want to check that out. There's a picture and everything. It's, it's quite spectacular. I might have to make a copy of that, um, just, you know, so I can remember the craziness of COVID-19 years from now when I'm old and gray. And if I ever have kids, they're going to want it. I tell them about it, they'll be like, Dad, I don't even believe that's true. Like, hey, I have pictures. There was a priest wearing, <laughs> wearing a mask, shooting a, a water gun at people driving by in their cars, the window open. Um, so uh, to the more serious story uh, goes with that um, the barber who had his license revoked now for opening even though the judge did, in fact, say that he had every right to open, the governor then pettily said, well, then his license is being revoked. And because there's not a whole lot you can do about that, I mean, the judge anyway, the people can, which I understand there's a protest on Thursday? Wednesday, tomorrow. Or, well, it'll be, it's tomorrow for me. It's for, uh, it'll be in the past, probably, when you hear this, but... So on Wednesday, there'll be a protest. So the people might be able to do something, but there's not a lot that the judge can do. And I don't know if there's anything the legislature can do. 
because um, I don't think they have control over like business license and things. But but it's a, a problem that we've been seeing a trend going on for a long time. Uh, not so much here in Michigan before, but lately, certainly, we're seeing this um, rise of the nanny state, which is really, really unfortunate and unconstitutional, and I think just goes against what our country is founded on, which is self, uh, self-regulation, um, self-government. Um, and I, I, I know that <clears throat> one of the reasons why um, this is, there's a point to this. Uh, it's not totally related, but it is uh, related in a roundabout way. One of the reasons why we made sure and I, I say we, meaning the founders, made sure they put in a Second Amendment was, one of the reasons was because during the uh, French and Indian War, the English would not allow them to have weapons to defend themselves. They said you had to have the government come in and they would send in troops to protect the colonists from the, um, from the, ongoing, uh, from the ongoing fights. And the English or the, the colonists were very upset about this. Well, because of course the English didn't want the colonists to have guns because you might uh, you might thwart the authority of the state if if you gave them weapons. So um, so they told them they couldn't have any. And what they said is that as Englishmen and as men and humans, we have the right to defend ourselves, and we don't want to be treated like children who have to call out to a protector to come rescue them every time something happens, every time there's an Indian uprising or every time uh, some other country or tribe or anything attacks us. We don't want to have to run home and call, theoretically, and call our protector and say, come help us, come help us. You know, we need help. You know, we're men, we're, we're humans. We can take care of our families. We can take care of ourselves. We're not going to be irrational and, and get guns and just go crazy. And... So we saw that then, and what I mean by it in a roundabout way that applies today is that once again we're in a situation where we have to run to the government now and ask permission to do things that we, as men or as women, as adults, are, should be able to take care of ourselves. Um, and I was thinking about this poor man and uh, this poor barber who... <clears throat> who has to raise his hand like a school child and ask Mother May I to the governor, may I please open my business back up? And then her, as the benevolent adult and the wise adult, can say, mm, I don't think it's safe yet. You can just sit there and play with your blocks and I'll let you know when it's time to reopen. That is the definition of the nanny state, that we are not able to make decisions for our own safety, our own well-being, that we have to ask permission. May I please open my business? May I please um, do this or that? And then the government, in this case, Whitmer, can say, yes, you may do that. Or no, why don't you hold on? And uh, I'll decide when you're ready. Um, I just, I think it's completely inappropriate. I understand the problem that they were in I myself would like to think that I wouldn't have shut everything down if I had been governor. But it's easy sitting in this chair months later to say, I think it was a mistake. I don't know. If I had been in that position, knowing what we knew then, maybe I would have 
Maybe I would have erred on the side of caution and shut things down. But there is no reason why it should continue to be shut down to the point where the people are saying, hey, we can make precautions. We can still do this in a way. I can still open my business and do it in a way that is safe for my customers. I mean, well, let me just finish this thought. That's safe with my, for my customers and do it in a way in which it's not going to be reckless and everything. And the government says, no, you're not going to do it. Um, you know, it, when, when the people are starting, I don't want to use the word rebel because it almost makes, it makes it sound like the government has the authority and the people are just rebelling against it. But when the people start to, to question and, and, um, and start to, you know, be uncomfortable with that kind of, uh, behavior and start saying, we can do something here. And the government says, no, you can't. Now we're getting a breaking point. It's passing a breaking point where now the government is stopping you. Before they were encouraging everyone to shut down and, and you know, until we get this thing figured out, until we can flatten the curve, until, you know, we can rel- figure out how this thing is being transmitted, how can we best um, slow the spread. But when the people are saying, we have some ideas here, we want to open up, and the government says, no, you're not going to do it. At that point, we passed beyond just the government working, the government <clears throat> working on consent of the governed. And now it becomes the government forcing on the people what they're going to do. And I, that just goes against everything that our country is founded on, um, you know, it's consent of the governed. It's not, um, you, you can't have the government dictating these kind of things. <clears throat> and, and the point I was going to make before, because I want to finish that point, was that what, what business wants their, who would want to open a business and then kill everybody or make everyone sick? That's just ridiculous. Nobody's going to say, let me open up my business and kill everyone who comes in. They're going to be, they're going to work hard to ensure the safety of the people. And on top of that, and my second point with that is that um, government does have regulations to protect people, but they protect people um, not to protect yourselves. I mean, there's, uh, you know, if Charles Darwin, a man whose name just coming out of my lips wants me to, you know, gargle with a bottle of bleach. Um, you know, talked about the survival of the fittest. And many of these secular people hold um, Charles, Charles Darwin up as, as a hero and a great man and a great thinker. Well, what happened to that idea of if you are stupid enough to do something that will harm you, then that's survival of the fittest. Then, then the dumbest of us will die. Well, if they really believe that that is true and that we evolved and only the smart ones are going to continue, then what does it matter if somebody says, I don't mind if I get the, the virus? Um, you know, if a, person, if, a, if a person wants to stay home and doesn't want to expose themselves to the virus, they have every right to do that. But if a person says that, they don't, that it doesn't bother them or they don't, they don't mind, then... So be it. Let them go. Let them go out and go to Meyer without a mask. Go to, go, go to do whatever they want to do. Go to the beach. Um, you know, it's a risk that they're willing to take. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't, if 
you don't want to take that risk, you don't have to. There's nobody saying that everybody has to leave their homes and go out and participate. Um, so I, I, I don't know why we're allowing this as a people. I mean, you know, like the, the 55 mile an hour speed limit isn't to protect you from being in an accident. It's to protect other people on the roads. Um, you know, it, it, it's not to protect you. Um, drunk driving, you know, they, I mean, sure, everyone, nobody wants you to hurt yourself, but it's primarily so you don't hurt innocent people when you're driving. I mean, if, if there was nobody else on the road, if the road belonged to you, if you wanted to drunk, drive drunk in your backyard, there's no law against that because you're not endangering anybody else. Um, even though you could still hit a tree, you could still do damage, but you can do that because you're not injuring somebody else. So if I go out hypothetically and decided to go out without a mask or go to a movie theater or go to the beach and I get sick, that's a risk that I chose to take. Um, you know, so, uh, there's also this idea that's been perpetrated. I've heard it a lot since 9-11 where presidents will talk about this, how they have an obligation and duty to protect the people. And they, it's kind of a, a, a tough, uh, it's, it's a, it's a tough point to argue because we do have a military and we do have these things, but the, the general idea is to protect the nation not to protect individuals. So if we are attacked by a foreign nation or an insurrection which wants to overthrow, uh, <clears throat> you know, the government or overthrow, uh, you know, or, or lynch people or things like that, you know, people, um, yeah, they do have an obligation. But their job isn't to protect us from ourselves. And so I've never liked that one when presidents say it, the presidents have an, uh, and the governor has an obligation to make sure the laws are faithfully executed and to uh, pre preserve and protect and defend the constitution of the United States. If you're the president or the constitution of Michigan, if you're the governor, they don't have an obligation to protect individuals from what they might view as stupid things like, you know, um, uh, you know, and I I'm, I'm, might be a little extreme on that. I, I don't I don't see the reason to have a law for seatbelts. I mean, I think they're a good idea. I think they're wise. I wear a seatbelt. But to have a law against it, I don't know. I mean, if a person doesn't want to wear one, I, you know, that's the kind of a risk they take, you know, or to have a law for helmets or other things when you're riding a bike, uh, you know, uh, skateboarding, I, I see. <laughs> I used to always see when I go to the skate park with my friends when I was a teenager, you'd always know which kids had uh, the real protective mothers because those kids would show up down there at the skate park and they'd have helmets and knee pads and arm pads and all these other things. And, you know, and I would just kind of silently laugh because, oh, that's, that kind of stinks, you know, to want to go skateboarding and you, and your mom makes you wear all this protective gear. Everyone else is there just skateboarding. And so, um, but you know, that's what moms do. And that's, you know, and that's, goes back to what we're talking about here with the nanny state. I mean, wanting to be our mothers and they're like, well, only go out if you got a mask and only go out if you, you know, if, if you're in an area where there's not going to be that many people and, you know, but don't go here and don't go there. And I don't know. It just reminds me a lot of, uh, an overprotective mother who, um, 
just worries about you. And like I said, if it's your mom, that's a little different. I mean, you know, you got to respect your mom, but, but I don't have to have respect for my governor <laughs> as far as, I mean, you know, I have to respect her as far as her position and, you know, and all that, but not any respect, like whatever she says I'm going to do because, you know, she's my governor and I got to do what she wants. Um, so anyway, uh, Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, um, I'm curious as to what you think about this and, you know, what do you think about the nanny state? What do you think about laws regulating seatbelts and, and, uh, helmets and, um, and even about the coronavirus and wearing masks and, and going to beaches and reopening the government? Do you think, do you think it's, uh, do you think it's too restrictive and why? And if, if you don't think it's too restrictive, if you think that's perfectly fine for the government to have these things, I'd also like to know why. So please comment and um, give your thoughts on, the, on these things on our, on our uh, Facebook page. And, uh, and another thing is hopefully we'll be able to get a website up soon where you could leave your comments and things. And I'd also like to know some ideas some things you'd like to talk about. It could be from news or history or Michigan politics, or I guess it could be other politics. It could be national politics too. Just things you don't understand or, or things you want to have clarity on or um, know why we do what we do. Um, if you have questions about the Michigan Constitution, that'd be really great because it's an area that I'd like to study up more on and, you know, and what things are constitutional, what aren't. So, yeah, please um, comment and like and subscribe and, and yeah, definitely comment though. I'd like, I'd love to read your comments. So, um, all right. I'll, uh, talk to you next week. Right, bye.